As the Sunrise 10 uh, head to Honduras this week, we will not be the only ones heading to a mission field. So will, in fact, most of you. You will head into your workplace where the hope of Jesus Christ and the gospel of peace is equally needed. Uh, So this morning, we're going to continue with peacemaking, and not just peacemaking, but peacemaking in the particulars of life, and specifically peacemaking in the workplace. Biblical work of peacemaking between one another, of bringing in relational peace in the midst of conflict is complicated by a paycheck, right? It's a little bit different, but even still, what I want to kind of get across this morning, if I put it in a nutshell, is this. Your workplace is a mission field. I mean, we never forget that. I don't know, you may have heard that before. This might be the first time you've heard it. But your workplace is a mission field. A mission field to establish relational peace, to extend personal peace, and to spread a culture of peace. Peace between one another, personal peace between you and your creator, and to spread a culture of peace in your workplace. So let's pray that God gives us wisdom for that this morning. Father, we um, recognize that where there are relationships involved, where there's a sense of um, maybe power struggle, where there's money involved, employment, there are going to be relationships of conflict, Lord. We just ask this morning that you would give us divine wisdom, that you would give us solutions and help from the Spirit, Lord that we can put into practice this week and beyond in our workplace. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to share with you a very uh, average story without a happy ending. All right, who's excited about that? <laughs> average story, yeah, exactly. You might want to go to the restroom at this point. It's a good idea. The little boys room back there. We got some coffee and donuts in the back. I got my way through seminary in part due to a sometimes full-time, sometimes part-time job in sales, specifically furniture sales. Uh, And I loved it. I really, really actually loved it. I loved the relationships. I loved helping people. I loved the opportunities to share Christ with not only customers, but with fellow employees in a sometimes hard, backstabbing kind of environment on the sales floor. One person I befriended was a Jewish uh, New Yorker named Jason I got to know, we played lots of golf together, we went to Chicago Cubs games together, uh, and we started to get to talk about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, and the uniqueness of grace, and this idea of grace to Christianity. Jason was one of these guys who was just great to know, if you were on his good side. I, unfortunately, had the experience of venturing onto his dark side, it happened to me, and In my job, if a customer works with you, but doesn't buy furniture from you at that time, but comes back later and ends up working with someone else, another salesperson, you still get half the commission. All right, say you're absent, you worked with them before, they drop your name, so you get half the commission. Jason was absent this day, and some customers did not hint, mention, no word that they had worked with somebody else that they had been in the store before. So I sold them some furniture. I don't remember what it was. Some probably, you know, like a love seat. You know, like a nice match. I don't know, like three dinette sets. 
whatever it was, sold in these things. Jason finds out, unbeknownst to me. And instead of coming to me, he goes to our manager, who is essentially also the human resources guy, slash secretary, all rolled into one. <laughs> I get called in, right? And I, I try to, exp- oh my goodness, I'll explain the situation. At this point, I still haven't spoken to Jason, who I know is ticked. Eventually, it gets cleared up, but it took almost a week to speak with Jason. I was told, in fact, not to contact him until this was cleared up because it was a business decision. It wasn't personal. But by then, of course, things were incredibly awkward. Incredibly awkward. And in fact, our relationship, unfortunately, was really never the same. Now, this story is pretty average with, sadly, average results. And so it's fitting because these type of average dilemmas are, in fact, average for the workplace when it comes to peacemaking. How do you navigate these things? So there's three questions or three dilemmas kind of came up with in terms of peacemaking in the workplace. And these came about from talking to some of you. How do you simultaneously respect the God-given authority and the authority? All right, so 1 Peter 2.13 says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, which which would include your place of employment. But sometimes HR's policy runs contrary to the biblical steps to peace. How How do you navigate those waters? Second dilemma, different worldview, different goals. It's hard enough to apply Matthew 18. Remember Matthew 18? We've talked about it a lot. If you have a problem with your brother or sister, you go to them privately. If they listen to you, you gain your brother. If they don't listen to you, bring some others along. If they still don't listen to you, you know, bring some leaders from the church. But what if this is not a church? (laughs) Which it's not. Your business's workplace probably doesn't include in its worldview or mission statement an all-supreme benevolent being, right? Uh, So there's different goals for your company, for your place of work. It's the goal of the bottom line, which for them is greater than the goal of relational peace. So that's a dilemma. Different worldview, different goals. And here's the third dilemma. Can I aim for real peace without sacrifice? Can I actually try to bring Jesus into my workplace Bring God in, or at least his steps to peace, which might be a little bit difficult when job security is involved, when future promotions are something to keep in mind, right? When a future reference on your resume probably matters. Can you aim for real peace without sacrifice? These are some of the questions that have been on my mind because I've spoken with a lot of you over the last month about these dilemmas in this particular sermon. To be honest, I, uh, many of you who genuinely want and have tried and, and are thinking about how do I glorify God where there's tension and conflict in my workplace? Asking these questions, how do I do that when you know, I might have to sacrifice? People don't think about God, their different goals. How do I respect that authority but try to do what God wants as well? So I've been thinking and prayerfully considering what to say for a number of weeks now, and it's, it's so tempting, by the way, and convenient for us as human beings, and, and, and I know for me, just to offer advice and opinions. But we know a God who speaks wisdom and solution to lives, to real lives like ours. 
I think we should take our cues from him this morning. Amen? I feel like he pointed me to the right spot to, to start to think about these dilemmas. Um, it's the first two chapters of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. So if you would turn there with me and see what Daniel does, Daniel uses his work for a king, for King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, to establish relational peace, to extend personal peace, an opportunity for this pagan king to know his creator, and and finally to spread a culture of peace. And what I pray is particularly helpful is how he does all of this in concert with God to bring out this peace in what is a virtual workplace for Daniel. So the first thing we're going to see that Daniel does, I want to encourage us to do, is understand what work's goal is for you. It's a little bit of a turn of phrase. Usually we think about what's our goal with work. What is work's goal with you? So starting in chapter 1 of Daniel, in verse 1, I'm going to read there. And I'm going to give you a little context for understanding where Daniel is and all that. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, that's to the east of Judah, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. He placed the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded uh, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, kind of servant, uh, leader, and we'll get into what eunuch is, <laughs> to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and some of the nobility, youths, young people, without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in the wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand on the, the king's palace. In other words, these were Young people with potential, right? You know, those, many of you, young people with potential recruited to work at fine law firms and accounting firms and schools and hospitals, etc. To teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king himself ate. They got to drink of the wine that the king drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that the king drank. So, a little context here. The original landlord was the Lord, all right, who gave a really choice parcel, parcel of land to a people that he loved. But there was a rental agreement of sorts. All right, and the tenants, God's people, violated that agreement over and over and over again. And there were clear warnings of what would happen if you violated the rental agreement. But this landlord is very patient and loving, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. But eventually, because he wanted his people to love him genuinely, to be faithful genuinely, he had to follow through with some of these consequences to help even bring them back to faithfulness and love of their landlord. So 
So in the 6th century BC, the landlord deported them off the land to a place called Babylon for 70 years worth of slavery. Now many of these folks, among God's people, the people of Judah, were treated very well. Even opportunity for growth, for advancement. In fact, this is the closest thing I could find in Scripture to a modern sort of free market capitalism that we find ourselves in, generally here in Cayman, in the Western world. So that's the context here. They have opportunities to advance even in the midst of servanthood. So I want to talk first about what is your goal for work. We're called to work. You and I were created to glorify and imitate our God, our Creator, through what we do in our work. Genesis 2.15, Philippians 1.16, Philippians 2.12-13 are some places you can look for that. Created to glorify and imitate God through work. Our other goal, basic goal, is you and I are called to work in order to provide for self and for family. New Testament is pretty clear about this. 1 Timothy 5.8, 1 Thessalonians 4.11. But what you may not know is that work has a goal for you. Follow me with this, if you will. We live in a fallen world, in a world that's tainted by what the Bible calls sin. So there lives in us as well this disease called sin, this big no in our hearts that makes us want to be our own gods and run our own lives. And we also have an enemy named Satan, which and who work in concert to tempt us to worship give ourselves over to, find satisfaction in false gods called idols. And they're a big deal where we live. In fact, just a side theory of mine, you might hear stories sometime on the missions field where you hear about like the demonic a lot and spiritual forces coming together and, and even people being raised from the dead. And you ask, why does this happen in certain places? Just a theory, total theory, don't, don't take this to the bank. My theory on that is that where there aren't possessions, Satan uses strong spiritual forces. But where he has money, where he has possessions, where he has those kinds of strongholds, he doesn't have need for those kind of tactics. He's got idols, and they're all around us. An idol is any person, experience, or thing from which you derive your identity, your hope, sense of satisfaction. An idol is whatever you know you can't live without. And if someone was to threaten to take it, to block you from it, to keep you away from it, you would defend it right to the death. You might think about what that might be for you, even a potential idol in your life. They are good things, things God has created usually, but we make them and exalt them into ultimate things, where God is supposed to be in our lives the seat in the center of our lives. That makes sense? So the three most common idols, this is pretty broad, but generally speaking, here in the Western world, are sex, money, and one's job. Sex, money, and one's job. Uh, These are things that seek our total allegiance, that sin and Satan use to seek our total allegiance. In fact, put it this way. Your job or your work seeks a faithful, monogamous relationship with you. And you may never have thought of it this way. You may never have thought of your job seeking a faithful, monogamous relationship with you. That's usually meant, right, we talk about that with marriage and church. 
using money, using power in your job. It won't stop seeking, even though you can't just stop working. The king of Babylon offered the choicest compensation to Daniel, the finest in the continuing education. And he not, he not so subtly, this is no, you know, it's more subtle in today's world, not so subtly changed Daniel and his friend's name to divert their allegiance away from Yahweh. The king wanted to make this job into an idol for them so that he would have their loyalty. So for instance, Daniel's name means God is my judge. The God of Israel is my judge. But what does it say here? That he changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, which means, O lady, wife of the god Bel, O lady, protect the king. I mean, he changes his very identity. Or Azariah, for instance, who's mentioned here. That means Yahweh is my helper. Yahweh is my helper. But the king, seeking to make his work an idol, changes his name into an actual other god. Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, the shining one. Different god. Daniel, knowing the temptations of being sucked into a monogamous relationship with the idols of power and the idols of comfort associated with his job, intentionally resolves to back away. Do you see that here? It says he resolves to not eat of this choice food and this choice wine because he knows the temptation. If he gives himself over to that, he can no longer be faithful to God and God will no longer be number one in his life. It's important to note here, it's not because he would be violating a specific commandment of Scripture. He just knows, if I give myself to that in my place of work, I'll go all the way. I'll give my identity, all of who I am, all of my life over to it. And work idolatry, friends, making work our number one, causes vertical and horizontal strife. Of course it causes strife between us and God because we've made something else number one in our lives. We've given our lives to something else other than God to our place of work, getting our sense of satisfaction from a bottom line, getting our sense of comfort from other people telling us what a good job we've done in our work. But there's also a horizontal strife that occurs. Because as work becomes our number one thing, we develop goals that are inherently competitive and divisive, Right? It starts out good, but eventually I do want to get ahead of you. There's only so much room at the top when we make it into an ultimate thing. So peacemaking in the workplace begins, friends, with a resolve to daily find your identity and your satisfaction in God even as you work. That's got to be our goal. Lord, I'm going to my place of work. Maybe it's on the way to work. Jesus, I remember what you did for me on the cross. You first loved us. You came to me. You loved me through the cross of Jesus, uh, uh, through the cross that you bared. You died the death I deserved. Help me remember that as I go into my place of work. That I might stay faithful to you and find my satisfaction and my worth and my sense of identity and who I am from you and not from what I do. That's the first thing we learn from Daniel. Second thing here. Peacemake by creatively appealing to God's peace and their goals. Creatively appealing to God's peace and their goals. Your workplace's goals. I spoke with a couple HR persons this week, did a little interview. Interviews 
if you will, and I asked them about personally and gently confronting someone that we're called to do in biblical peacemaking. I asked them, what would be your response to someone doing that in the workplace? And what both HR persons told me, essentially, was companies often seek to eliminate personal confrontation, even though it's what most people prefer. In other words, most people prefer for you to come to them if you have a problem with them. Companies recognize this, but even still, often seek to eliminate personal confrontation. Why? Because companies feel they cannot trust employees to handle conflict well. And, you know, you can be sympathetic to that. Sometimes it doesn't go well. Uh, People aren't usually hired for their peacemaking skills, right? Uh, They're not asked, how do you deal with this all the time? Sometimes they are. Even interpersonal skills, but primarily based on their competency and the skill for what they would do for their job. But the alternative proposed is essentially a contractual, professional form of tattletaling, right? <laughs> Instead of going to the person, you go to someone else who's in charge. And that creates problems. It hurts people. What I love here about Daniel, watch this. He's going to simultaneously respect authority, the human authority in his life, and yet stay faithful to God. Watch this, starting in verse 8, chapter 1. But Daniel resolved he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. I don't want to eat this food or this wine. Is that okay? God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of eunuchs said to Daniel, Look, I've got to be honest with you, man. I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food. He assigned your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths of your own age. In other words, you felt weak. You didn't have the strength that they had to work and to learn and to grow like we're telling you to do because you're not eating all the meats and that sort of thing. So you would endanger my own head with the king. See, so this employee, he's got to report to someone else too. Daniel understands. Daniel says to the steward, whom the chief of eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in the flesh. That's a good thing back in that culture. You want to be fat. Like, it's, it's, you know, some of you (laughs) are... That'd be awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it'd be a glorious thing, really. Uh, fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and their wine they were given to drink and gave them vegetables as they requested. Isn't that awesome? Daniel establishes relational peace between he and his boss by first understanding his boss's goals. He understands his boss doesn't want to get fired. It's like that old Stephen Covey principle. You remember, uh, if you ever read the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I mention this in marriage counseling all the time, too. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. In your place of work, seek to understand that a person's goals, what they want, what they need, then to be understood. And then Daniel then trusts God, notice, to provide and to come through. And doesn't he? Strengthen, he looks stronger. 
You trust God to come through so that he can still be faithful to God and serve his place of work. Let me suggest how we might wisely apply this principle today. I'm going to call my friend Brad Kovac back to the stage here. We're going to engage in a (laughs) barely practiced skit. Brad, I just really enjoy working together, man. Uh, Thanks for having lunch with me. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure. You're you're buying, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Of course, uh, you're a mooch and I'm an enabler. Um, See, there I go. I I just insulted you. I'm so sorry, man. Um, You know, which brings me to why I wanted to get together. You probably can tell I'm not in the least bit perfect. I I, I mess up. And as long as we're working together closely, there are going to be times I rub you the wrong way or maybe even say something hurtful. And maybe it's like a cultural thing sometimes or a basic misunderstanding. But I just want to be able to work that when it seems like there's conflict, you know? Well, I mean, that's why we have HR, right? Not to mention, that's why I wear these earrings to be slightly intimidating. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And they are. They are. Um, so, very intimidating. So, that's just it, though, man. I, I, I was kind of hoping I could explain to you how I just, I don't know, I've learned to deal with conflict and misunderstanding so as maybe to even avoid the HR route as like the first option. Uh, and I was hoping you might even just hear me out. Yeah, go ahead. I'll eat and listen and okay. nod occasionally. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I'll take that as listening. Um, Brad, I... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I really just try to follow like four real basic steps, man, to just really kind of bring peace back into relationships, you know, when there's not. And the first step's really almost internal, like a, a big picture goal, which is I really, I'm really trying as best I can, and I don't do it perfectly all the time, just to bring glory to God in a difficult situation. Whoa, there's no reason to bring God into this. Well, wait, wait, I, no, I hear you. I hear you. I, I'm not going to persuade you over lunch to, to, you know, right now to follow God, but, but I do want to mention why this step is good for you. I know, might sound crazy, but my whole goal in conflict is to please God. Meaning, since I'm trying to please God, I'm seeking to please someone outside of myself. And and I also want to follow a standard outside of myself, like an objective standard outside of myself, the Bible. Which means I'm determined not just to do what I want or just to please myself in the midst of the conflict. But there's something objective outside of me that can help me. Okay. Seems good where I'm sitting. Go yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a good thing, right? It could help us. Well, the next step is then I would sort of like look at myself and figure out how I can take responsibility for my share of the conflict. And um, then if you still have an issue with me or I with you, I would go to you man to man and talk it over calmly. All right, and just, you know, having explained, not, not to dump on you, but having admitted to you where I'm at fault, just maybe where I'm struggling on your end and, and maybe how you're treating me. And the last step then would hopefully be forgiveness and our relationship being better than it was before. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's okay, but I don't know. Well, here, here's what I'm asking. Try this with me. If you come to me and I don't respond well, you know, if I don't hear, you, hear your concerns, address you calmly, or if I come to you in a manner that's not cool, I will totally agree to immediately go to HR with our conflict. How does that sound? 
Ryan, you had me at hello, I'm buying lunch. Thank you, Brad. All right, there you go. That's, yeah, that was pretty casual. All right. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Creatively appeal to both to God's peace and to their goals. All right, a third, <laughs> a third thing we learn from Daniel here in peacemaking in the workplace is praying for peace against all lost hopes when we lose hope. Um, now, when we get to chapter 2 here, we're going to see the context is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's troubled. King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is by this, by this dream he has. Can't sleep, just troubled by it. And so he confronts his sort of union of dream interpretation workers. All right? Brings the union in, accuses them, hey, you guys are trying to buy time. You don't know how to interpret this dream. You're just a union banding together. And he creates discord. I mean, serious relational discord. He tells them if they can't interpret the dream, he's going to kill all of them. All right? So this is serious trouble in the workplace. I'm guessing most of you haven't dealt with that. Right? That doesn't really happen. But there's an extreme example of conflict in the workplace. The dream interpreting union goes to Daniel. They really respect him. Daniel has basically one night to sleep on it. One night to sleep on it. And that's important because Daniel's hoping he gets a good night's sleep and that will yield a dream of understanding from God. Can you imagine, by the way, the pressure that is? I got one night to sleep. And God, this better be a dream in there, you know? It'd be hard to sleep at all. I just get to bed. I'm like, oh, uh, I'd be like popping Nyquils, just you know, when you get there. But anyway, read with me how Daniel responds under all this pressure. Chapter two, verses ten through nineteen. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, "There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. There's no great and powerful king who has asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or Chaldean." The union. And the thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Of course, they hadn't known Jesus yet. Because of this, the king was angry, very furious, commanded that all the wise men of Israel be destroyed. The decree went out. So, skipping down a little bit, they go to Daniel. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time. Give me some time. He might show the interpretation of the king. Daniel goes to his house gathers his friends together. He makes known the matter to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions. He tells them, please seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then, having prayed, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Amazing. Pray for peace when all hope seems lost. And this is sometimes the place we find ourselves in our workplace. We have tried, we have tried, we have tried, and all hope seems lost. For example, pray for peace when circumstances and stories seem hopelessly convoluted. When you get into conflict, someone says this story, someone says another. Uh, The circumstances are difficult. They're not easy to navigate. We need God's help, his wisdom. His mercy in that situation. Uh, When you are the wrong person to confront... I recently knew of a situation in our church and, and a person that if not confronted, I really believed it would, would, would hurt people in the church. It would hurt the church. Um, but I was not the right person to confront that person. All right, because I didn't have a relationship with this particular person. 
But at the same time, this, this person needs to, need to talk to this person. Someone needs to talk to them. So I just prayed. Day after day, just prayed. It's been about three days. Just Katie and I were praying about it, praying about it, and asking the Holy Spirit to intervene and provide. And he did, in tall order. I mean, one of the most, uh, a very a more, more non confrontational person I know directly confronted them. It's hard for them. They directly confronted them. And God provided in a miraculous way. I mean, and just spoke through that person in a very powerful way. Pray. If you're not the right person to confront, pray. Ask that God provide. He can do it. And also pray when the other person's unwilling to budge or unwilling to admit fault, to reconcile, or even talk. Pray. God can move mountains. He can move the hearts of people. Proverbs says that the hearts of the kings are like streams in the Lord's hands, and he can direct them wherever he will. He can do it. He can move hearts. It may not just be you, by the way, but the well-being of your workplace being threatened. As with here, look at verse 18. Everyone, this whole segment of society of a workplace was going to be destroyed. Same thing can happen with conflict in the workplace. Last thing we learn from Daniel. Rely on God to do your job well, and you may receive favor to spend on God's glory. That's a long statement. But rely on God to do your job well, and you might receive favor and to spend on God's glory. Notice the mix of divine action here and man's responsibility in chapter 1, verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams and this sort of thing. Notice the mix here. God gives them learning, skill, wisdom. But that implies they actually did the hard work of reading to acquire learning, right? To acquire wisdom, to hone the skill. They did hard work. It reminds me a lot of a wonderful pair of verses in the New Testament where Paul says that he toils. He toils to make everyone mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I toil for this. It's, I'm toiling. It sounds like it's all me, right? Struggling, though, with his energy that he powerfully works within me. So as you go to work, rely on God for strength to do your job well. And sometimes, sometimes you'll receive favor. I think oftentimes you will, but at least sometimes. Verse 18, at the end of time when the king had commanded they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. They gave him counsel in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. In chapter 2, again, Daniel uses this gift of understanding, interpretation of dreams to help the kings we saw. And I want us to notice how Daniel uses the favor he receives. He works hard. The king extends to him favor. Look how he receives it. Chapter 2, starting in verse 46. And we're skipping here a little bit. King Nebuchadnezzar, after Daniel interprets the stream for him, fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. And he commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries 
For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So, first of all, Daniel spends his favor by glorifying God. He says, I I haven't done this. God has done this. No one else could do this. God has done this. And so he extends to the king an opportunity to respond to personal peace. And look what happens. The king responds. Your God is the real God. He is the God to be praised. And he takes the opportunity to multiply and spread a culture of peace. Look what he does here in verse 49. Daniel then makes a request of the king. The only request you're going to hear for the rest of the book he appointed to appoint Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. In other words, Daniel uses this opportunity to multiply a culture of peace. More peacemakers in the court. More peacemakers and places of decision. You see that? More people to glorify God and honor Him and bring peace where there isn't any. What about you? Do you aim to do your job well and receive favor to spend it on yourself or to honor God? This is a tough question. Do you claim sort of, oh, it's God's favor? Or do you claim his blessing when it's really just money and promotions without asking favor to take faith risks for him, to spread peace? You do the hard work of establishing relational peace like Daniel did. God's way. You have opportunity like Daniel to extend personal peace. An invitation of peace between the other person and God through faith in Jesus Christ, through the gospel. You have that opportunity. You will get it. I mean, as you talk about the Bible, how, how the wisdom of how God brings peace into relationships, we get to be, talk about the plan for peace between human beings and their creator. And step further, pray towards an opportunity, not just for personal peace, but to speak to your higher-ups about a culture of peace in your workplace. Can you you envision that happening? A bigger vision of a culture of peace throughout your workplace. A peaceful, spirit-filled workplace that is percolating with coworkers who are also seeking personal peace with their creator. What a vision that would be. I want to encourage you that it has happened. Uh, Hobby Lobby is a U.S.-based art supply company. They sell art supplies to the dreamers of this world, you know, the artists and those who teach them. This company sh- took a chance to spread a culture of peace in their workplace. And what, I'm gonna, what we're going to do is after the service, we don't have time right now, but after the service, we're going to run this video, if you're interested, in spreading a culture of peace in your workplace.